Today in uh, Matthew's Gospel, we come to think about the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, uh, which I think is one of the most famous stories about Jesus. Uh, it's one of those few things that people in our world actually know about Jesus. And it comes up in culture all the time. People seem to know that Jesus walked on water, or, or at least they know that walking on water is, means you're doing something amazing, something miraculous. Uh, the wonder of Wikipedia tells me that there are at least five movies or TV shows called Walk on Water. Uh, four po- albums by popular musicians called Walk on Water. And at least 13 modern songs, I say modern, I mean the last 70 years, uh, 13 songs called Walk on Water. I don't know about you, but, but I feel like I hear people say this phrase all the time. They, they either mention Jesus walking on water or just that phrase, walk on water, and, and they mention it in passing. So perhaps this is Jesus' most famous miracle. But being famous doesn't mean that you grasp its significance, its meaning. It doesn't mean the people of our world understand what it means that Jesus walked on water and what it means for us. As is often the, the, the case in our culture, people might know something about Jesus, but do they really get him? And do they then respond rightly to him? Well, let's pray that we would understand Jesus and this miracle as we look at it together. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks again for your word. We praise you for the Lord Jesus and that his words and deeds are recorded for us and that you speak to them, speak to us through them and those words today. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word, to respond to it rightly and to live more and more for our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You may have noticed that our tagline for our series in Matthew's Gospel this term is the coming of the King. Uh, and that's because that, that is what Matthew's Gospel is about. Uh, what does Matthew show us in his Gospel, his biography of Jesus' life? Well, he has this big focus on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And what is his point? His point is the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of God has arrived because the King has arrived. And so all of God's promises from the Old Testament about God's kingdom, all his plans and purposes are fulfilled in this king, in Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the the king of God's kingdom. The man appointed by God to rule over all things. Matthew's gospel is about the coming of that king, Jesus. He wants to show us who he is and the difference that he makes. And so last week, when we started again in this series, having had a break uh, since last year, what did, what did we see? We saw Jesus is the king who cares for people, who loves his neighbor, and who does something about it. He has compassion on people, and then he heals them of their diseases. And then he multiplies bread and fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. By his power and authority, he rules over all things. And these serve as great reminders, don't they? A reminder of the compassion that Jesus has for all of us in saving us. A reminder of the spiritual abundance and healing that he pours out on us as he went to the cross for us. 
as he bought our forgiveness and our eternal life. But now, having fed a crowd of, say, ten or 15,000 people, we get our passage today. And Jesus does more striking things, more amazing things that show us who he is. And the first striking thing doesn't sound that striking. The first striking thing he does is to send everyone away and to pray. So come with me. Let's look at the first part of the passage. Read it with me. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, the other side of the sea or the lake of Galilee, while he dismissed the crowds. It's the end of a long day. The sun is now going down over the mountains with the lake on the other side. And there's this huge crowd still there, still wanting more from Jesus. But they're in the middle of nowhere. But they don't want to leave because Jesus is doing all these amazing things. And so it's Jesus who has to call it a day. He basically forces everyone to leave. He tells his disciples, jump in the boat, cross the lake. I'll catch up with you guys later. And then he says to this huge crowd, the show's over, guys. It's time to go home. Uh, But then we learn why Jesus did this. What's his true intention? Look at verse 23. After dismissing the crowds, he, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. At the end of this long day, what does Jesus want to do? What do you want to do? You want to sit back and watch Netflix, don't you? Jesus is different. Jesus wants to pray. He wants to be alone and talk with his heavenly Father. That's the main reason he sends everyone away. And that should strike us, shouldn't it? It should strike us because it shows us something profound about Jesus. We learn in Matthew's Gospel that, yes, Jesus loves people. He loves his neighbor. He has compassion on others. But he also loves God. What does God desire from us? Jesus sums it up in two commands. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. These two commands sum up everything that God asks from us and everything that we fail to give him as well. But it matters that we see Jesus here going away in order to pray. It's important. Why? Because there are many who claim to love their neighbor, and maybe they do, but do they love God? They might listen to one command, but do they listen to the other? Do they love God? Do do they care about him? Do they obey him? Do do they love his honor? Do they long to, to spend time with him? Do they find joy and delight in speaking to him, praising and thanking him and asking him for the things that we need? Of course, there's also plenty of people who claim to love God and then they don't love their neighbor. That's hypocritical religion. That's what we see in our world. That's what we see in ourselves, isn't it? But here, Jesus shows us what it means to love God, at least in one big way. Here we see Jesus love his Father. We see Jesus, the God uh, that, um, who is God, the eternal Son, who willingly submits himself to God the Father. Equally divine, the Son submits himself to the Father. 
And we see Jesus, who's not simply God, but also a man, living a perfect life of loving God. Loving God by praying. And if God calls us, you and me, to love him, and if he's opened up the way for us to know him and to approach him in prayer, and if he invites us and calls us to pray to him in faith and dependence, well then, to spend time in prayer is to love God. And so if we say we love God, shouldn't that love overflow into a life of prayer? And if we say we love God, shouldn't that love be expressed in a regular and concerted effort to spend time praying to him? Time alone with your heavenly Father. And if we see Jesus... Jesus, who's the king of God's kingdom, if he's our saviour and Lord, the sinless one, and our example, doing this of all activities, praying, though he is the son of God, well, that means we should too. Doesn't that strike you? That if the son of God, who has the power to heal the sick and feed a multitude, chooses, prioritises prayer, then shouldn't that mean that we also are men and women of prayer. And so it has to make you ask, doesn't it, when you see Jesus here, to ask yourself, how's your prayer life? Do you love God? Are you loving him by praying to him, taking time to pray alone just like our Lord Jesus? Do you need to confess your sin of prayerlessness, of self-reliance, of non-dependence on God? Let's follow Jesus and walk just as he walked here. And I think that's actually so important that we should pause now, mid-sermon, and we should pray about that. Let's pray. God, our Father, we are sorry for the ways that we fail to love you. Most of all in our failure to pray to you as our Heavenly Father. Please forgive us and please change us. Please help us to follow the example of our Lord Jesus, to love you and to take time each day to make that regular concerted effort to spend time with you in prayer, both for our joy and for your glory. Amen. Well, now we get to that most famous miracle of Jesus when he walks on the water. Uh, Now, it seems that while Jesus is praying up on this mountainside, He's not just praying. He's also watching. Because what can he see from his mountaintop? From his high position, he can see and overlook the lake. He can see the water standing out against the land. Maybe he can see the reflection of the the moon and the stars off the water. And in the middle of the lake, as he looks out, what does he see? He sees the little speck of a boat, the disciples' boat. What does he notice about their boat? We'll look at verse 24. It says, Jesus was alone, but the disciples' boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's a huge lake and it's prone to bad weather. And so as the disciples try to get across the lake, the wind suddenly picks up and now it's coming against them. It might not be the worst storm they've ever seen, but the wind is coming directly towards them, stopping them in the direction that they want to go. And so they keep battling. 
the wind all night long. And as Jesus prays, well, he can see that they're struggling big time. They're rowing and rowing and getting nowhere fast. And so again, Jesus has compassion. Jesus decides to do something about the situation. What does he do? Well, he stands up, he, he dusts himself off, and then he begins to walk down the mountain. And he gets to the bottom of the mountain, and then he walks towards the shore, and, and he reaches the water, and then what does he do? He just keeps walking. And not like how we walk into about this high, and oh, this is nice, this is fun. No, no, he keeps walking on top of the water. Look at verse 25. Around three in the morning, they've been fighting the wind all night. He, Jesus, came toward them, walking on the sea. That is amazing, isn't it? Are you amazed by that? Just because this story is famous or well-known, it doesn't mean that we should be whatever about it. Here, Jesus, is our Lord. Jesus, our Lord, shows himself to be the Lord. He shows himself to have authority and power. Authority and power over creation, over physics, over reality. He is not subject to the laws of nature. They are subject to him. And so he does the impossible. He walks on water. If this was on the news, you wouldn't believe it. Ah, it's a gimmick. It's fake. He walks on water as if it were solid ground. Such is his power and authority. And it's deep water and it's rough water. The wind is, is blowing, remember. He's in the middle of the lake, miles from shore. This is no trick. This, this is no small thing. It's a genuinely amazing miracle. Jesus is the Lord, the one with power and authority. And here he is proving it. And so the disciples, you can imagine, were exhausted, frustrated, and tired from fighting the wind, but all of a sudden they, they kind of think they can see something. As they look through the darkness and the weather, well, they suddenly see a figure, a man, a man walking on the sea to, and coming towards them. Look at verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. How would you have felt seeing that figure coming towards you? Have you ever had that kind of feeling of sudden fear that comes upon you? You know when you, like, when you hear or you feel something and you're like, is, is someone like right next to me? And you kind of like your heart beats fast and your stomach churns for a second. Is that what it would have been like for them? Uh, sometimes I like to look at those, um, you know, those stories or videos of people reporting weird or supernatural events uh, and like, you know, someone takes a photo and then they look at the photo later and there's this apparition next to them. And um, it makes you feel really weird when you watch those stories. Like, it gives you the heebie-jeebies, which is a very technical term, I know. Uh, but the disciples felt more than heebie-jeebies at this point. They felt more than weird. They cannot help but cry out in fear. And that would be the right response. What else but a ghost could do what Jesus is doing here? What other explanation is there? But, verse 27, Jesus doesn't leave them afraid. He's close enough, just close enough to be heard by them. So, verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, 
don't be afraid. He reassures them, I know this looks scary, terrifying, but it's me, it's your Lord, I'm on your side. I'm the one with power and authority and I'm not here to harm you. And then at once, uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, once he realizes it's Jesus walking on the water, he thinks, I want to give that a go myself. <laughs> what happens? Look at, look at verse 28 and on. As uh, he often is, Peter is the first disciple to speak, the first disciple to do something. Uh, Jesus is close enough to the boat to shout to, but he's still a little way from the boat. And so Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come and walk to you on the water. That seems crazy, doesn't it? Would you say that? I, I don't think I would. But Peter, he, he has this conviction. If that is Jesus, then what he says goes. What Jesus says happens because he is the Lord. And so verse 29, Jesus says something even crazier. Come. Come on, Peter. Let's hang out on the water together. And so Peter, with, with the wind and the waves going, he... he puts his foot out of the boat and he just kind of presses it on the water and it doesn't sink. And so he puts two feet on the water and begins to step away from the boat, walking towards Jesus, looking at him, making his way to his Lord. That's wild, isn't it? That is crazy. If it's not crazy enough that Jesus can walk on water, he can make and enable someone else to walk on water. Such is his power and authority. What's going on in Peter's mind at this point? Sheer amazement, maybe even joy. But soon enough, the fear comes back. Look at verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. At this point, Peter is too far from the boat to get back. And so Jesus, maybe a few paces away, is his only hope. And thankfully, Jesus is willing. Look at verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. This crazy event all seems to be over and then peaceful and quiet in just a few moments' time. And it's worth stopping and thinking, as we've kind of reflected on the experience of the story, what is it trying to teach us? What is this story teaching us? It's teaching us something about faith, isn't it? In the midst of fear, Jesus encourages faith. Have courage. Don't be afraid, he says to them. And while Peter has faith... He does the impossible and he walks on top of water. But when he stops trusting, when he fears, he sinks. And Jesus, what does he say to Peter? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you lose faith? And so these words are meant to be an encouragement to faith, to faith that can move mountains. But... This story is not primarily about faith. It's not about how great faith is, as if faith in and of itself does anything. No, it's about how great Jesus is. Because Jesus says, have courage, it is I. 
And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. See, this passage is not so much about faith as it is about the one we should put our faith in. It's about Jesus and trusting in his power and authority. It's faith in Jesus that moves mountains. Why? Because he is the one who has all power and authority. I think it's fair to say that Jesus actually did all of this on purpose. He sent them across the lake. He went up the mountain to pray, knowing that the wind would come up. And so then he decided to go and show them why they could have faith in him. He wanted to show them who he is, the one with power and authority, so that he might grow their trust in him. So that's why Jesus says, don't be afraid. If it's me, you don't need to be afraid. That's why he said to Peter, you of little faith, if you knew it was me on the water with you, why did you doubt? You see what he's saying? Jesus is saying, if you know me, then it doesn't make sense to fear. It doesn't make sense to to doubt or to have little faith if you know the one with power and authority over creation. If you know the one who can walk on water, who can heal the sick, who can feed the multitudes... You don't need to doubt. You don't need to doubt that he can save or that he has everything in his hands. Fear and doubt are normal. Fear and doubt are inevitable. We face fear and doubt probably every day. But fear and doubt is not just inevitable. It's also illogical. It's also unfounded when you know the Lord, the one with power and authority. And how much more do we know the power and authority of Jesus than Peter did? Yes, he got to see this miracle before his eyes, but we know more of his power and authority and his love and grace. We won't go into the last few verses that we read before, but if you just look at it, just after this, yet again, Jesus heals the crowd. Look at verse 36. If they just touched the tassel, just the end of his robe, they would be healed. Such is his power and authority. We see more than Peter saw in that moment. On top of that, we know that he went to the cross for us, don't we? For our sin, and that he was raised to life, and that he was exalted to the highest place, the right hand of God, having the name above all names. Such is his power and authority, and his grace and his love. So why do we struggle to trust him? If he is the Lord, if he is the one with all power and authority, why do we fear and doubt? These words remind us of who Jesus is, the one who grows our faith in him and our trust in him. And they remind us, these words, that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. This is where we started thinking before and this is where we end uh, because we see the disciples' response to Jesus after all this happens And it's the response to Jesus, the king. Jesus and Peter, what do they do? They get back into the boat. The wind stops. Again, I think that's miraculous. Jesus is the one who's in charge. He stops it. And then verse 33, look there. How do his disciples respond? Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. What is the right response to Jesus, the one who walks on water? It's worship. 
It's to bow down to him and give him the glory he deserves. It Maybe it means literally bowing down to him. But it definitely means bowing down to him with your whole life. To give him the glory he deserves in everything you do. The glory he deserves as the one with power and authority. The right response to Jesus is worship and, as the disciples do, it's confessing him to be the Son of God. It's declaring, Jesus, truly you are the Son of God. Now it's actually hard to know uh, exactly what the disciples were thinking at this point. It's hard because that phrase, Son of God, it means different things at that time. Uh, did they simply mean this man is remarkable? He can do crazy things. He, he has some sort of power from God. He's pretty cool. Or did they mean this man is the Son of God, the King, the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, the one who would come and have power and authority over all things and, and everyone. That's what the title, Son of God, means. When we read Psalm 2 before, what did it say? It talked about the King of Israel, God's anointed one, and it said, God said, You, King of Israel, you are my son. I am your father. And so Israel, they looked forward to the coming of this king, this son of God, this Messiah from the family of David, and he would rule all the nations. Now whether the disciples mean that or not, Matthew's gospel makes it clear. That is who Jesus is. And that is who Jesus was proving himself to be when he walked on water that day. The king of God's kingdom. He was proving himself to be the Son of God with all power and authority who would rule over all things, all creation, even sickness and death, all reality. And so their response to him, well, it brings us to our response to, he, to Jesus. As we see Jesus walk on the water here, as we see his power and authority, how will we respond? What is your response? Is it to bow down and worship him, giving him the glory he deserves? Is it to confess him, to declare, you are the Son of God who rules over all things? Is it to say, you are my king, take over my life and be my king and saviour? Praise God that for so many of us the answer is yes. Yes, I worship Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is my king. If that's you, then we can praise God and that we can trust in Jesus like this and know that we are saved, saved from sin and, from, and given eternal life, that the one with power and authority is with us and he is for us. If that's you, then we should pray that he would always strengthen us to trust in him, that it would always grow our resolve to worship him, and that we would always be all the more ready to declare him to be the Son of God. But maybe that's not all of us. We talked before about prayer, the importance of prayer. And maybe you're here and you don't pray, and you never have. Maybe you don't worship Jesus. Maybe you don't declare him to be the Son of God or your King. The wonderful news of the gospel for you, the good news of Jesus is that if you call on the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. 
Think for a moment of what we just saw, of what Peter said when he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. He reached out his hand and saved him, brought him out of the water and to safety. If you call on the name of Jesus, if you turn to him in worship and you trust in him, if you declare him to be the Son of God, you will be saved. You will be brought to safety, saved from your sin and saved from an eternity of facing God's judgment, saved to spend eternity with him and with all those who declare Jesus to be the Son of God. So call on the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who walks on water with all power and all authority. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you answer our prayer and that you show us who the Lord Jesus is and how we should respond to him. Father, please help us to be men and women of prayer, following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus. Please help us to be people who see Jesus for who he is, the one with power and authority, our King and Saviour. And please help us to always trust in him and grow in that trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.